0: E-commerce gold is brought to you by rewind accidents happen maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme or a store collaborator deleted product images by mistake it's a common myth that shopify has a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store the fact is they don't that's untrue that myth is busted so what do you do you use rewind to equip your shopify store with automated backups rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error misbehaving apps or collaborators gone bad it's like having your very own magic undo button it's trusted by over 100,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like nick's lord and taylor and moomin it's even a shopify plus certified app best of all visit rewind.com forward slash e-commerce gold and get your first month for absolutely nothing free on us econ Gold podcast has partnered with clearco to provide you with financial tools to grow your business without having to give away equity clearco is the world's largest e-commerce investor and growth platform giving founders the financial tools capital and network they need to grow plug in your shopify store and your loan could be agreed within just 24 hours Visit clear.co slash partner slash VIXXR for exclusive deals, £1,000 off your first loan as a podcast listener and more information. This show is brought to you in collaboration with VIXXR, a leading Shopify agency with a mission to grow and migrate brands to Shopify+. Plus. They work with some of the world's largest brands and can help you level up your e-commerce performance. Visit VIXXR.com, dot for more information. It's Ron on the Ecom Gold Podcast. Ron, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine. Uh, we were just saying Ash is uh, pulling a sickie at the moment, so Ron is extremely busy, but <laughs> being the nice guy that he is, he still finds time to uh, to give some value back to the audience not that you don't do that enough already Um, i appreciate that i don't want to cover too much old ground um in in this so i'm going to come at you with um hard and fast questions and just try and leverage your time as best as possible throughout this but for anyone who doesn't know who you are i'm not sure how that would be possible but can you just give us a quick breakdown of you obvi and maybe just like a timeline of uh events from starting obvi up until this point
1: absolutely um so my name is ron shah i'm the ceo and one of the co-founders of obvi um I, we started the business back in june of 2019 so we're coming up on three and a half years um and uh we've bootstrapped the business and uh just recently um started also an angel round um to 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 be kind of the first round of funding as well but a, a little bit of a journey of our business. Um, from June of 2019, myself and my two other co-founders, Ashrin and Ankit, um, we had this kind of background of being in health and wellness for the last eight years, working as employees for different businesses, having our own agency with, the, with this one passion in our mind, which was one, we want to one day own our own business and, and, and be entrepreneurial, but we wanted to learn first. So for eight years prior to Avi. Uh, we were working together in different formats, being either employees at a business or having our own agency. So, um, obvious journey, uh, June of 2019, June of 2019, when we launched, um, we launched with the idea of, of making collagen fun, sexy, pink, tasty, exciting. Um, cause collagen is extremely important for your body, but is one of the most boring products on the market. Um, so that was our, our disruption idea, right? Um, a little, you know, fast forward a little bit. Uh, we're kind of our team's made up of, of some really cool personalities uh, and skill sets. Uh, we have one person who really handles brand and design, Hunkit. That's my partner. And us really handles paid media really well. And I handle ops and finance. And so us three together, uh, technically, we don't need to hire anyone ever, right? Um, but, you know, as we've grown, you know, it's been a phenomenal journey to learn. But uh, we've grown the business to now just a little over 40 million life to date. Um, And uh, our team consists of eight people and a little bit of the journey. We did about 178,000 our first year, 5.2 million the second year, about 18 million the third year. And this fourth year, we'll do a little uh, closer to about 22 million. Um, And, uh, you know, the journey has been just pretty incredible. It's uh, uh, learning a lot, uh, also just understanding a lot about our customer base. And lastly, we've built a really cool community. And I, I believe that a lot of brands need to do that and focus on that, too.
0: Yeah, you're ticking so many of the boxes, and um, it's it's sort of extraordinary um how you're able to do so much, quite so much as a team of just that many people, and just the ground you guys cover, the channels, and where you are. But not only that, the the quality of the execution and the depth of the execution is um is you're, you're sort of outpacing some of these huge legacy brands that have thousands of employees, and it's just incredible to watch. And I and I know that comes down to work ethic. And having uh, a mission. But just rewind back towards the beginning of this journey. And uh, you started with £3,333 each, as I yes. remember, uh, yes. into a 10K pot. That's not a lot of money for essentially product development, branding, design, marketing, advertising, launching a brand, three people's salaries. So, can you give us a breakdown of yeah. how you actually allocated that capital?
1: Absolutely. Um, So I think what where we got not lucky, but also, you know, we were thinking this through is um, a lot of times when you're allocating money, when you're starting a business, you have to split it between product or service. um, And so the actual idea of what you're going to sell and team to help sell it. Right. Um, For us, team wise, um, us three had the skill sets to get coverage across the entire board. Right, So from marketing, to branding, to design, to web development, to finance, operations, and managing kind of manufacturing, we us three can manage all of it. We've either done it or we had the expertise to kind of at least try to do it ourselves. So we actually didn't have to invest anything in the team. And now when you're starting off a business, um, you know, ramen noodles and, and uh, you know, all, all, the, all the different uh, studio apartments that we could live in is what we did. Uh, we didn't have a flashy lifestyle. Um, and not that we do now, but the goal was, is, you know, we were gonna kind of put everything we have into this to see if it one day can become a more lifestyle business. Um, so for us, team and salaries were almost like negated. We lived off of what we had saved up. Um, and so when all of the money can go towards uh, product and development, um, it gave us a little bit of a head start of, OK, we don't need to spend money on branding a website. We don't need to spend money on creating content. We don't need to spend money on getting a uh, accountant, blah, blah, blah. So for us, every penny went into the, the, the product development in our first order, our first P.O
0: did every penny because still 10K now must be laughable compared to what you do now in terms of product innovation and the quantities that you're placing. So did all of that 10K ship towards uh, the product and, and was that an iterative process because you'd been in the industry before you knew how the industry works? So did you already had a formulation in mind? Did you have to go through the full formulation process, the packaging, yeah. or was that all just straightforward because you had that prior experience?
1: Yeah, here's the thing about uh, the supplement industry now, at least in the last 8 to 10 years, I would say, there's this huge shift to people wanting full transparency, okay? Now, the pros of that is people get full transparency, they see what's in the formula, everyone gets to see how efficaciously dosed the formula is. The cons of that is there is very, very little you can do to innovate and patent and hold onto what you've owned, okay? So we took the pros, which is we're going to make a fully transparent formula. But the con we took is we also looked at the market and said, okay, what are people doing, right? We're gonna use a benchmark. We're gonna see how we can make it a little bit better, right, we're gonna go through iterations of of, back and forth sampling because our biggest moat was flavor. That is probably where we had to spend the most money in R&D was, oh, we need another sample. Oh, we need another sample. Luckily, we found somebody that kind of trusted our business early on. So they were kind of like, hey, here, they, they didn't hit us with, hey, here's this $5,000 R&D fee. They kind of said, hey, as long as you order with me, right, and you can put like something towards a deposit, I will work with you on the product because it's innovative enough. And uh, they knew we were kind of marketers by trade. So packaging and and formula is almost like as transparent as it can be what we one thing we said with packaging though was we're going to be so loud and different that it's almost going to hurt somebody's eyes right i mean i look at your background right now right and sometimes all i look at right even though you have luscious hair and and and, and a great a great hat it's that's it's that's how loud we wanted to be so some things became easier because of the industry we're in and the decision of how we we're going to build the brand
0: yeah, and that's all tactical stuff built on years of experience and you guys are yeah. just smart about how to approach the industry. That's That, that, that um, makes a lot of sense. And when you then went to market in the early days, did you have any kind of financial modelling projections or forecasts for, okay, I've ju- we just placed our first inventory order. That's, you know, we've allocated a percentage of our capital, probably quite a large percentage of the capital that you had available at that point to that order. Um, this is what we've got remaining in the pot and, uh, let's just spend it. Was that, was that sort of the mentality or did you even then sort of sit down and work out, okay, we want to make this much off this inventory. We can spend this much because it presumably had very little data to go on other than your, uh, exposure to other brands in the agency world when you might've picked up on a few things. Yeah,
1: it's a great question. Um, what we focused around was, um, we knew that ten thousand dollars worth of inventory that's coming in, right? We have to sell through that, but the money we're going to spend on advertising was going to go on a credit card. Okay, that I, I would be lying to you if I say we didn't have money for. Obviously, we could pull out of it, pull out of our savings accounts, and and push it through, right? It's not like we were, um, you know, um, on on a verge bankruptcy or something. So what we said was we're going to try and be as efficient in our spending so that we make first order. And if we don't, we don't scale. So when, when Ash started his budgets, they were at like $50 to $100. And until that $50 to $100 was at least making us $250 to $300, we didn't scale from $100 a day to $200 and so on and so forth. So for us, our spending on advertising was kind of done on a credit basis with the hope that we're going to be super, super efficient right from the get-go. And luckily, I think as bizarre as our content was, which was like we had cereal flying from different places and, um, you know, this collagen that's pink, um, I think it helped people to at least want to check it out. And then we did a good job building a strong website, which was, you know, again, came from our experience. So the modeling extent that we had was we need to be profitable in first order or there's no way we're going to be spending more money. Um, And until we got to that point, that is, that's all we focused on. So even our first three years of business, we were profitable. Um, it wasn't like, you know, we, we, we went and raised capital and blah, 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 and just, and wasted money. We've been profitable. And that's been a big focus of ours because we're not funded with tons of money in our own bank account. So I think the model was, was if you're not profitable, you're not scaling.
0: Yeah. Okay. I love the intention. (laughs) <laughs> I guess every brand wants wants that as an intention and it clearly worked out for you guys which is which is excellent. In, the, in on those yeah. first credit different cards times, different times too though, right? Um you know pre pre iOS
1: and and kind of a a gold rush for for advertising in in 2018 2019. So I think right place right time has is a big piece to a lot of brand building.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And when you, you referenced credit cards, then and you probably didn't have much of a credit history on the business. So were they personal credit cards that you were leveraging at that yeah. point? Or did you manage to get, they were.
1: Okay. Yeah, they were, they were personal credit cards. Um, they, they were personal credit cards that were tied to the business, but it was our credit score and our social securities that were ran to run them. Um, and that was kind of quote unquote, our bet on the business but also we were a little bit premature of understanding the, the implications of that. At that time, it was more so you, you have this thrill of like, I'm going to do this and yeah, let's just sign up for this. Let's, let's just do this. And you know, we were, we're as mature as we could have been. We were also extremely immature um, of, of not knowing what else is out there.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, we'll get into some of those other things that are out there in a minute. Um, so I just wonder. I thought it might be interesting and and be as open and transparent as you want to be with this. You you know I I don't really know if I'm asking too much or too little. But um, what I thought would be interesting is just to compare some kind of key metrics, uh, if you can remember back to to how they were when you when you started and and how they might appear now, and um, either you know relatively or specifically the numbers. So I I don't know what you remember. In you've already given your sales revenue for year one versus. Now, so it's just just recap. First revenue was
1: first first year revenue was one hundred seventy eight thousand. That was from I'm June June twenty nineteen to December thirty first twenty nineteen. So first six months really.
0: First six months, and then the first six months of twenty twenty two. How much did you do there?
1: First six months of twenty twenty two, we did about eleven million, a little less than eleven million.
0: <laughs> Your growth curve, master. Be- <laughs> like that it's incredible okay and 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 has your gross margin rate is that has that has that changed has it got better has it stayed the same as you've as you growed have you managed to improve your margins like what what went on there with your products because i mean and obviously you've done product expansion as well but across if you were to blend it as an average margin as you've grown have have you have you made that margin increase that margin or is that stayed the same or has it got worse
1: okay yeah great question so i'll actually just quickly dial you through the different years so 2019 because we were at low minimum order quantities it was pretty bad okay because we're paying extra for low quantities 2020 it improved because we were growing a little bit and we could order a little bit more so prices went down 2021 it improved a ton because we also introduced pills. And then the supplement industry, I was listening, uh, pills pay the bills, okay? Because pills are the best margin product, period, before powders. So we did really well in 2021. Now, end of 2021, though, into 2022, our gross margin has taken a big hit. Um, and, And if you layer on why, the reasons why, so raw material prices went up, your shipping and freight went up. Um, your cargo prices from China went up. Um, everything ad, ad costs went up. So again, that's not on the gross margin level, but still, when you look at everything that's involved in running a business, prices went up. Um, and so for us, our margin took a hit in basically end of 21 into 22. All of 22, we've been we've taken a pretty big hit.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of businesses have followed the same uh, pattern of not passing that on to the consumer, and taking a haircut yeah. on that hit. What's the decision behind that? Uh, and what? Um, or did you increase your prices? Yeah, we actually
1: tested increasing prices. To be honest, um, the test did not do well for us. Um, our our customer base is very sticky. They're very um, they're not price agnostic. They're very like coupon driven. Uh, middle market America. So we could not do that to them. Um, we tried to, uh, because it would have been better for the business. Um, partly the reason why you just can't pass it on is because people won't take it on, right? Um, it's 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 not this theory of, hey, choose to do this and it'll work. Um, we chose to do it and it didn't work. The second reason though, I think why businesses choose not to, I think there is this like moral and ethical like piece to this that is unspoken of, which is like the truth of like, Hey, your business is your problem, right? Um, These people, if your business is struggling, the people who are buying, especially if you're selling to middle America, they're already struggling too. Right. They're already having trouble thinking if they should afford to buy your product or not. And so them having to take on the pains of your business, um it seems to be like a double whammy um depending on the demographic right so i think that's why there is kind of this moral code of like you know run your business differently but try to keep your customer you know safe and
0: protected Mm, yeah that's interesting and um we saw certainly over that time as we were monitoring it that some companies chose to move their manufacturing from overseas and trying to do it uh, locally or more localised uh, yes. in the States and in the UK. We saw a few companies do that. Um, yes. And initially it seemed like uh, it's obviously a long term investment. And I'm going to ask you in a minute if that's a consideration for you. But um, we also saw a hybrid model where uh, parts of the production process were brought to a localised um uh, a more localized manufacturing, uh, unit and even materials, raw materials were stored in bulk, uh, in, in, uh, more localized destinations so that there wasn't any problems shipping in some of those hard to, hard to get, uh, materials when you needed the most, have you considered or done any of those things? Um, it's a great question. And, and I think
1: for us, we've, because we've, um, really focused on innovation and new SKUs and new products a lot. It was actually tough for us to go a bulk route really anywhere because we were always fickle minded with what's going to work, what's going to sell, what's not going to sell. Um, And so I think for us, the goal and the objective has always been more so around like, let's try and get just enough. And if we sell out, we'll take on that burden of opportunity cost loss instead of being tied down to you know bulk or or being tied down to commitments because we feel that's a bigger threat to the business than maybe being out of stock which can actually you can turn it into hype and 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 hope for for the future i don't know if that yeah. makes make sense but it's just the way we kind of thought about it
0: it does and i, I just want to challenge you on that a little bit and uh, the question is when we think about adoption models, one of the main ones is uh, crossing the chasm um, from early adopters into a more mature customer. And if you're... um Doing tests like that, how are you ensuring that you're not just hitting the people that are early adopters and the people that just sort of try things because they're new? And actually, you're giving it enough of a chance to penetrate into it and cross that chasm into a into a more mature customer base that's that's sort of going to carry on. I guess the opportunity. What is the opportunity cost of product diversification versus uh, sticking with a core cool range and really trying to develop them into a uh, customer base f- from your perspective? 100%. Um, so it's
1: actually how you strategize and look at LTV, okay? The, the the metric LTV, I think, is sometimes has this stigma that it has to come from the same product or service that someone started with, okay? Um, and although I, I know a lot of people don't believe that, that's great if they don't because we truly don't believe that. Um, we believe LTV comes from how many more places in the cabinet can we take up in our customer's home, okay? So if I see somebody using the Gali uh, apple cider vinegar gummies, right? My concept is, is they have everything else obvi, why can't that be obvi, right? If I see them using Folgers ground coffee, okay? Mixing that with our, 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 our collagen, why can't we go and r and a coffee bean, right? Um, if they're using a multivitamin from Centrum, right? Why can't we have the Obvi multivitamin? Because we've convinced them to buy seven other Obvi products, right? So for us, how deep you go with lifetime value, I think now comes through diversification of product line or services versus trying to hope that your loyalty is so strong that that one product skew will run its course this whole time. I mean, Athletic Greens, Seed, and few brands have done a unicorn job at it, Okay. But majority of the 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 brands out there, we have a really strong, a really hard time keeping loyalty within a skew because there's so much distraction right now. While we started this in the last 20 minutes, there's probably at least two collagen brands that are that are being formulated in someone's garage, right? And and that's coming from my customer by tomorrow. And so because the 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 barrier to entry is very minimal into this industry. You have to almost get LTV through diversification and going horizontal, then going super vertical with your product line. That's our strategy.
0: I understand that I completely um, can hear hear that case, and but there must become, and this must, uh, I, I guess, be something you think about a point where you have gotten the business to a certain run rate uh, with those products, and you need to. Uh, get those products into a, a bigger total addressable market um yes. there's going to be a point where you have like you can't just have a thousand skews right you, well, maybe you can i don't know like this you're no, you know, the expert uh, there yeah. um but it will that involve a shift in the business do you think in, in how you operate will you have to yeah. like mature up like have you even thought about that yet or are you still just going up going at it and growing fast no, with no, the no, strategy no, that you have it's
1: a great question. Um, you look at the journey of a supplement business and what we want to do, okay? We want to exit at nine figures in three to five years, okay? So for us to do that, let's say we're a $20 million brand right now, okay? In that bucket of $20 million brand. We, our next big trajectory is how are we going to become a $50 million brand, okay? That journey from 20 to 50 now requires your a, a mass appeal to your product. Right, And it's not a mass appeal to all 31 of our SKUs. It's a mass appeal to six of them, right? Or seven of them. And that's where you have to layer on retail, food, drug, mass, all these different opportunities and even diversification of channels, right? We have to go into connected TV, wrapping trucks, out of home advertising, et cetera. So I think the way that we look at it is, is for our D 2 C business, that's gonna be hopefully by the time we exit a 70% or 60% sales mix, okay? we think that diversification of product line is going to help us get there and grow that because LTV, et cetera, will continue to grow on diversification, diversifying our business and increasing our channels and how we're going to explore this. That is exactly what you said is, is we're only going to be seen as a six, like even the deck we make for retail, for example, right? That deck only shows seven SKUs, right? they don't even know what we have in the background here. Unless you go to the website and explore, so 100% agreed. But I think for us, if we're looking to exit by X X date, um, we need to kind of build the business for online. Which online currently in this climate, you need to keep this customer around. We're, we're paying too much. Where we we can we we're, there's too much competition, and we need to do whatever to keep this customer happy, right? So we have to keep diversifying, and then on the retail end we need to almost be seen as like a super focused brand that only focus on these six, seven SKUs. And that's what we're doing there. And so
0: I think it's a, it's a combination of literally what you said and, and, and maybe our strategy online. And, and you said you want to exit nine figures, I think you said three to five years. Um, yeah. Is that right? Um, wh- why so long? I, and I don't mean that as in, why can't you do it sooner? What stops you doing it faster than three to five years? Is it, is it uh, money? Is it, like, what are the barriers to three? To, why not 10 years yeah. and, or one or two years? Like why, why three to five? Yeah. Uh, so three to five is um, it's a completely made up number that feels right. Okay. Uh, could it be two?
1: Hundred uh, percent could it be 10? Absolutely. Um, three to five is, is that, you know, that magic power of, of, of the middle point. Right. But at the same time um, it can't be two in our minds because the amount of capital and team and resources you need to build out, that itself could take 24 to 36 months, right? Um, And then it can't be 10 because to keep a brand that is disruptive, also to be exciting and a household name for that long, you kind of have two parallels that will never cross, right? A disruptive brand needs to kind of explode and, and kind of hit its peak and, and you need to know when that peak is and, and we're hoping we'll, we'll we'll time it right but a household brand can take its time to grow and be steady and, and go super deep um, but then they're not disruptive right they, they serve a different purpose they're usually a subscription business they have a model that's different so we have to kind of play in this lane of like perfect timing stay exciting stay in front of the game but not also turn into a household name which is going to become boring, but much more attractive in a longer term business to an exit. So Mm -hmm. that's theoretically what I think our our thought process is.
0: And there's some stepping stones to get there, right? If to sell for nine figures, you can't just go from where you are now to nine figures. There's going to be Uh rounds in between, but with the utter turmoil that we're seeing at the moment with VC funds and the traditional path to exit for a lot of e-commerce businesses, how has that shifted how you see Obvi potentially potentially making those steps towards an exit yeah um it's interesting because i think
1: we may have to take two steps back to take three steps forward and um what i've learned is is like right now vc money pe money um even even some um uh, family offices what they want is a short bet there's very little like oh i'll i'll take this bet on you it's okay if, you know it takes some more time well there's no more There is still a lot of money out there, but there is not enough money out there for people who are focused on top line in sacrificing bottom line. So for us, we're gonna have to shift more and more towards profit over top line. And even if that means having one or two years where we're flat in revenue and we're not growing revenue, but our profit grew a ton, right? I think that's what's going to say, all right, now we can categorize and get this round done because our profit is there. People are going to trust us. Um, and it seems like what the market wants, right? So like a, a year, like next year, for example, if we have to make $20 million, but make 50% more profit or 40% more profit, that is hundred percent have to be the case for us or, or make $15 million and make 30% more profit. It doesn't matter. It seems like that's the round that's going to have to happen for us before we go and ask for money because, uh, that's just what people want.
0: Yeah. And you did your, I don't want to call it an angel or friends or family. I don't know how you define it, but you did a recent round, yeah. um, through your, uh, well-earned, audience across multiple platforms and i'm sure most of the people that invested in that were people that you probably know personally which is fantastic um and uh i just wanted to understand a bit more about why why the amount you raised and how you're going to allocate those funds what you hope to be doing with that cash is it going towards growth or is it going towards profitability is going towards stability like where do you see that injection really helping the most 100%. 100%. Um, so the money that
1: uh, we raised, so first of all, we raised it through friends and family and honestly, I don't even call it friends and family. It's it's Twitter and LinkedIn, right? <laughs> uh, is, is where we raised the money. Um, it was a Twitter and LinkedIn round and uh, it was a phenomenal experience. We were only planning to raise a half a million and ended up raising 2.2 million. So it was really cool. Um, all through just referrals. Hey, can I bring a friend in? Can I bring a friend in? And um, Uh, So anyway, that was really cool Um, and how we're looking to deploy it and why we even chose to raise um, is we're looking at our brand as like, there are some opportunities that are on our kind of horizon that are like, that require monetary infusion that you don't know if you're going to hundred percent get back immediately, right? We've always been a very ROI conscious business. So let's say looking at celebrities or influencers, or let's say looking at more licensing deals, like we're talking in Arizona, um, Ice-T and Snapple and Kellogg's and stuff like that. These things require capital infusion that may not pan out to be an ROI for years from now, right? Or, or, or maybe you'll, you'll see it in the exit value. We can't take our savings account and do that. And so what we need to do is, is keep our business running the way it is but use this infusion to explore opportunities that can increase our enterprise value um, by a lot, but we don't need to see the ROI tomorrow. Um, and so that's where the funds are going to be allocated, is truly an enterprise value um, opportunity, such as: can we get more licensing agreements done? Can we get a, a good celebrity face to the brand? Can we get better resources on our team? You know, can we? um, get some of the top talent out there, um, that, you know, we would have to kind of reach for in salary, but now can do it, you know, so that's probably where we're going to spend most of the. money.
0: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe just because of the exposure I have to obvi, um, and the people that I follow on on Twitter, which is where I get most of my information about what you're doing and what you're up to, as well as your YouTube, which I feel like is underrepresented. You guys just shout about that so much more. I love the documentary that you started yeah. and I'd love to see more of that. Um, but it does, uh, the feeling I get, and I hope I'm not being rude, but the feeling I get is that it's a lot of tactical marketing. There's a lot of short-term mm-hmm. value marketing going on that is absolutely required, uh, yeah. especially in, in today's climate. But what you were talking about there is about maybe bringing in, some more brand equity and long term value, um, which which I really appreciate. And you alluded to maybe some some deals with large household names, but is there any other ways that you that you might be uh, sort of adding some longer term brand value? Um, and is that right? Is that a right judgment, or have I just missed some of the other things? No, you you nailed it. Um,
1: if we were, if if you look at us as as strip away the products and stuff like that, and we're a marketing company, right? Uh, we are a very Market for tomorrow company, right? Um, and and acquisition is talked about more than retention, and and acquisitions talked about more than lifetime value. But that's how you grow a business. Now going into what you can call more mature years of our business, right? Going into all right, next year will be our fourth year, right? We're no longer startup, right? Um, and so we need to become a little bit more tactical in our approach. And, and more long-term thinking. So it's exactly what you said, is trying to build brand equity. Um, outside of licensing and, and celebrity and stuff like that, I think the other ways for us to, to explore that is um, really educating our customer with more than email and SMS. Um, and what I mean by that is like, when you really understand kind of just your customer or your kind of um, person who's buying, you have to almost let them know why they're buying something, but also why they need to keep taking it, right? I think we tell we do a great job why need why they need to buy something. We need to do a, a deeper job in hey, are you taking this enough? Are you consistently taking this? Or is it changing your life? Like going a little bit deeper, so kind of building out our customer experience to be what the word means: experience, right? Understanding you know, uh, the people and and I think that requires a deeper study, uh, a deeper um, uh, piece into build out of of people who will actually talk to our customers more. So I think for us, we're just looking at it as like we've acquired a great amount now. Now let's see if we can actually strike people's hearts again Um, because along the way, we kind of put that in, in, you know, kind of packed that away in the closet.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the podcast episode that by the time this one comes out will have been last week's episode. Um, we discussed a, uh, a famous um, experiment that was done to uh, try to get people to take their full session of antibiotics. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a big problem, uh, especially in the UK, where people were being prescribed antibiotics and weren't finishing the cycle when they felt better. And that was fine for them because once they'd felt better, they weren't going to get sick again. But the problem was because they didn't finish the cycle, that uh, led to antibiotics being less effective for other people. And this was a really big problem because obviously antibiotics become ineffective. So what they did was they took all of the pills, which were white at the time, and they dyed half blue and half red. And then they told people uh, to take different combinations of them uh, throughout the cycle of those pills. And because they said on Monday you need to take two red and one blue and on Wednesday you need to take three blue and one red, people believed that if they didn't take them all with the set, uh, set quantities that they wouldn't have the full effect of the antibiotics. And subsequently, uh, the completion no, no. rate of the pill taking was, was massively increased. And that's obviously just a completely psychological approach to solving a problem, like how yeah. do you make sure someone finishes the whole bottle? Um, but there's loads of little things like that, which I find really, really interesting. And, uh, that's incredible. And, um, yeah. Um, so in terms of, um, if if ash for example we we know how tactical he is if he was to hit an absolute gold mine and uh, just just Absolutely smash it on on a new ad or a new creative or a new platform, and came and said, "Look, I, I need to scale this up. I need to scale this up really really quickly, and we need to spend every penny we've got. Wow. Are you are you flexible enough to be able to make those adjustments and make those bets uh, in in your in your um, kind of uh, current cash situation? Are you able to just go right? Okay, two hundred percent your budget tomorrow, and let's go for this. Is that yeah, still man. as liquid as you are? Like, do you have that flexibility? Like, what's the process there in terms of reallocating budget?" Internally, if, if something's working really well, yeah, uh, we're,
1: we're. I think because we're so small, we're, it requires us to be nimble, which is actually allows you to kind of be very flexible. So, flexibility is probably the number one reason we can do so many different things. Um, at the same time, flexibility is also the biggest con to the business because you can easily throw off something like your budget or your forecast or your model when you do things like that. Right. And I think we've learned that when we do something that kind of like haphazard, we are not learning enough about the quality of the customer. Are we getting the right person? Is this person going to stick around even? Right. Um, and so I think we are still able to go, yes, 200% the budget tomorrow. However, we are asking a lot more questions of whether or not we should do it. And until we get answers to the questions, me or Ash will, will kind of dig deep to see if we can at least get a qualitative truth to what we're doing instead of doing it because it's going to do, it's going to give us a vanity number that for the short term seems really good. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 100%. So uh, something that I just want to touch on briefly because I couldn't have you on without talking about negative cash flow cycles, because <laughs> come on, the king, the king, um, you know, for a business of, of, of your uh, growth rate, the, for the business of your size. Um, you have no business being anywhere near a negative cash flow, uh, conversion cycle, but I imagine you probably are, and I know that you have some incredible tactics, so please just elevator, dump them on us for anyone that hasn't heard some of these tactics for, uh, extending credit and, uh, not paying for things until, uh, the last moment, I think you are one of the best to advise. <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: Um, you know, I think, I think where it starts with as in kind of an umbrella effect is. Um, we've, we've made it a habit where if we're going to launch something or bring something to market or, or, or do it, um, we're going to figure out a way how we can sell this product before we have to pay for it. Right. And that's theoretically what negative cash conversion cycle is and how that starts is one, you need to kind of squeeze out all your ability to the actual person who requires the payment to get as much time you can from that, right? So, so it starts with having negotiations. So what started with us, which was, hey, 50% down and 50% upon shipment, right? That was our, our, our initial terms when we first launched. And that is typical terms across the industry. Um, turned into, hey, now it's net 30, okay? So let's just say you get it to that point, or let's say you get, you know, even between that, actually, I, I, let me take a step back. We actually got it down from 25% down on shipment and 50% net 30 to now we want to move to net 30. Um, As you kind of progress down different things, the goal here needs to be that you can get your hands on this inventory to sell it before you even put a penny out, right? That's the best case scenario. Um, So for us, we look at it and say, all right, we know our gross margin, call it 70%, okay? Okay that allows for us to be in a profit realm of anywhere to 10 to 20% call it. Okay. My concept is, is like, if you have profit at your bottom line, okay. Exchange a couple of points of that profit, maybe two, 3%. Okay. Let's, let's max it at 3% to give yourself and your business the mental stamina to handle dispersion of your cash, because the biggest thing is you can be profitable, but the cash coming in and the cash going out could leave you in shambles, right? And and that's because you may be profitable by just a little bit, or it's not enough volume. So instead, what we've done is is we've used tools like Parker or plastic. So Parker gives you a credit card that's net 60 um, without any fees. Okay. In exchange, you're going to lose, not getting points. Right? The concept here is, is net 60. If you go and try and tell somebody or like a, a bank saying, hey, I'll pay you in 60 days, they're gonna say, all right, give us 3% interest, right? So getting net 60, right, is for free is incredible, right? Because the points that you're accumulating instead is going to be far less value than you paying 3% at some point in your business because you need cash flow cycle, right? The, the other part is is plastic, right? With plastic, what we do is is any ACH that comes in that's above $10,000, we run it through plastic. What plastic does is it pays the ACH for you and you put the payment on a credit card of your choice. So we put it on Parker, right? Um, you can put it on any credit card. Now the point here is, is plastic charges you 2%, okay? I'd rather pay that 2% than that money leave my bank account tomorrow because now I have a way of mentally knowing in 60 days I need to accumulate that money that I owe, right? And it almost makes our business run on like a very 60 to 90 day run cycle, right? And you're kind of like always on top of it. Otherwise, what happens is like you're running your business and you're looking at your P&L and you think things are going to get better and it doesn't. And you get into this habit of running a poor business. I think for us, we're in this habit of like, if even we have a tough quarter, next quarter, has to make up for the last quarter, right? And and the last 60 days need to make up for the, the, the next 60 days. And so for us, um, we're always in a journey where any new product that comes out, so we just launched a pre-workout, right? We're on net 30 terms there. That went on to our Parker credit card when it'll be due. Um, so we're not going to pay for it for 90 days, okay? In 90 days, we have better figure out how to sell these 5,000 units of pre-workout we bought, right? Or get at least very close to it so that the cost basis is covered. Um, and our community and our marketing tactics help us obviously do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, but, and that's what that was going to What I was going to ask sell through rate. Are you confident yeah. now that you can sell through that inventory to, uh, to pay off the debt, um, and, and, yeah. And, and yeah, make that work. We're confident
1: enough to, um, at least sell through the cost basis, right? So if something costs us $10 to make and we sell it for $40, right. And we order a thousand units. That means we spend, call it $10,000, right? Um, we need to sell 250 units at $40 to make our cost of that inventory go away, right? So we're very, very confident that we're able to do that within the first 24 to 48 hours of launching something. Then everything else, we call it cherry on top, right? And and take it from there. But get to a point where you, the inventory you're buying you're able to at least sell through the cost basis of that before the money for that inventory is completely paid off. Right. And, and again, it's hard for people because many people buy for three to six months at a time. Um, luckily we work in a, we work with the manufacturers that first of all produce our products in six to eight weeks. And then secondly, we're okay with sometimes selling out of something because even if it's coming in two weeks, we're able to build up and use that as hype. And, and then usually a restock does even better.
0: Yeah. And do you use a three PL or do you ship? Yeah, yourselves? We do. You do. Okay. So give us a justification of that. Um, because I know they're expensive and, um, I just, I, I wouldn't understand from your perspective, why, why, why it works for your business. Yeah. Um,
1: I think a three PL is, is similar to like why you people, people typically even get manufacturers in our business, right. And not do it themselves. Um, there are every the, the every part of your PL, there's an expert. Okay. Um, and when you try to take over an expertise that you don't have experience in, you are going to actually short term possibly solve for better margins, but long term becomes so overwhelmed. I'll give you an example. Part of your top of your PL, you have your cost of goods, okay. Typically we all use manufacturers, okay, or co-mans. Um, because they're the experts. They'll give you the best pricing, they have raw materials, et cetera. Next part of your PL is your shipping and fulfillment, right? Shipping and fulfillment, the personnel requirement and, and the people who build that out and, and, and then manage the people, that is probably one of the most grueling roles, okay? For you to take that on in house in a climate where, first of all, minimum wage is like 18, 19 bucks an hour in many places, right? Or, or Chipotle is paying $18 an hour, right? You, for you to hire in this climate and manage the, the expectations of people that come to you every week and say, hey, can I get a raise, right? Because they can. Um, I feel like is, is a very brutal undertaking. Now, especially if you don't have experience in the 3PL space. Now, on top of that, packaging and supplies, the cost of boxes, tape, and packaging paper is constantly almost like a stock market right now. It's going up and down, okay? So you can't really predict costing. And then lastly, your shipping costs, which usually when you work with a 3PL, you get an aggregated shipping cost discount because they are aggregating all of their packaging, right? When you work and, and start your own relationship with FedEx, UPS, DHL, you're starting from the ground up, right? They'll give you an 82%, 83% discount. Usually the, 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 the 3PLs you work with are between 88 and 91% discount, right? So. There's so much ground to make up here that you have to realize running a 3PL yourself is another business, right? Similar to if you took manufacturing on your own, it's running a business. Now, can you save good margin? Absolutely. However, what is sacrificing to save that margin? It's similar to can you get points if you don't use the Parker card? Absolutely. But what are you really saving in the wrong term? Are you going to end up having to go get a loan because your cash flow cycle kind of got messed up? Yeah. And you're going to have to pay points on those on that loan, which doesn't equate to the same value. So my theory is, is if you're not an expert at it, um, outsource it. And yes, it is expensive, but find a good partner. We found an excellent partner in Wisconsin that does a great job for us and is a really reasonably priced.
0: Yeah and also there's a lot of innovation in that space i i, I don't know who it was this week invested in these uh, particular suite of robots um for their for their warehouses and they looked incredible you know just the yeah, things that they could yeah. do and mm-hmm. and the, and the and the operational benefits looked um to be kind of the next step in in logistics and fulfillment um did you ever do the comparison fba versus 3pl uh, yeah. and look at that and um what what was your sort of take from that
1: out of the question uh there's no way we could afford fba um it was just ridiculous price and then the seasonality effect of where they jack up fba pricing during q4 and holiday times uh just it it completely wipes your margin out for us at least
0: Mm, yeah I've, i've seen that and until they sort of improve their um how, it, how the whole ecosystem plays together. I don't think there'll be much value um, okay. in, until they, until they nail that. Okay. I've got a t- about 50 more questions. So I'm just going to prioritize a few because we don't have much more time. Um, am I right in thinking Q4 and Q1 are your sort of prime new customer acquisition months, uh, quarters? Yes. yes. Yeah? Q4, Q1. Um, And is that also when your budget's the highest? Yes. So how do you, uh, across your P and L, do you break that down? Do you spread that cost out across the year? based on, okay, I acquire the customer in Q4 and Q1, but we retain X percent of that customer and therefore that customer acquisition cost. Do you spread that out across your P&L, across the whole year, or do you just dump it into each quarter? How does that work for you? Yeah, we dump it into each quarter. Um, It it, um, makes the business work harder
1: um, instead of almost alleviating the pain. Um, And um, we naturally spend less during summer months and and Q3. So it levels out, you know, um, in terms of that. But we dump it in because I don't think we have a mature enough handle of kind of understanding what it really means throughout the whole year.
0: Makes sense. And who, who's responsible for the numbers? So do you do you, do you drop that on the department heads? I know you're a small team, but do you drop that on um, the people in charge of the marketing of, of of logistics? Do they have their control of their own budget and do they set their own expectations, or do you formulate that, give that to them, and then hold them accountable? Yeah. So
1: we have an outsourced CFO that builds a model for us. That model gets communicated to to myself and the VP of finance we are then in um, basically lining up with marketing um, and ash um, and and basically saying here're the expectations right we do a daily P l as well we have triple W on top of that um, basically we're looking at the company on a daily basis sometimes even on a 12hour basis um, so it's not it's, I don't even know if it's who's responsible it's it's actually a company-wide thing even my partner who only handles branding and design he's in our daily P l and here's how much we made. Here's how much we burned. Here's our, you know, uh, monthly forecast. So I think everyone's very tuned in. Uh, numbers are super kind of transparent in our company, so everyone has a, a look into it. Responsibility, I would say, is is um, C level
0: staff and then our
1: VP of finance.
0: Makes sense. Subscriptions are. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if consumers like subscriptions or not. They tend to be quite fickle. I, I personally am quite fickle with. Subscriptions, any subscriptions that I have had have ultimately been cancelled, usually within six months for one reason or another. I know that you offer subscriptions, but how much of a core part of your business is that? Is it still, because uh, subscriptions, you know, when Harry's razors and things like that dropped, everyone was like, yeah, subscriptions are going to be huge and they're massively valuable um, for the balance sheet yeah, and, yeah. you know, and add a lot to the business. But are we seeing people move away from uh, preference towards subscriptions? Do you think, like, what's your first hand experience?
1: We've, we've never been able to build it. Um, it's, it's a small percentage, maybe less than 5% of our business. Um, and we just can't build it too much. Um, we have all the right tools. We use, you know, the right services in place. Um, and we even do the auto opt-in. So like the first thing you see on the product page is auto subscription, but people don't want it. Um, they don't want it. And, and, and there's only so much you can force it down someone's throat. Um, in exchange of a higher cost per acquisition. And you don't even know if they're gonna stick around. It's it's a bet for a business that is funded, um, that is is more likely to take than for e-commerce businesses that are bootstrapped, that are still trying to figure things out. Um, I don't think you can start out the gate subscription. I think subscription comes post funding where you have a really good handle on your LTV and you can go and say, hey, we're going to pay a, a CAC to LTV game year. Let's, let's get the subscribers
0: up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I find it, uh, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, Outside of Obvi, do you hold any personal or professional investments in any other companies? Any tips that you can give in this time? Yeah, Um,
1: um personal investments wise, I mean, we invested in um, Postpilot, which is our direct mail company. Um, nice. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal service. Um, Drew and, 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 and Michael, they're just a great team. Um, love the service itself. Um, and then on top of that, uh, just serve as an advisor for plastic and Parker too. Now, just, we became really super users to where it made more sense to like, Hey, let's also work together on, you know, seeing how we can improve product and stuff like that. Um, I think the personal tip here is, is like, don't look for like alignment and things that's just going to pay you look for things in alignment that you use in your business. Cause it's such a more natural, like, like for me to naturally talk about Parker, some may still coin it as, Oh, you're, you're just sponsored or this or that. It's like, you can be sponsored. It doesn't matter. But if you're using the product, right. And there's a use case, um, it doesn't matter if you're getting paid or not. The, the, the thing is, is you're, you're spreading the word of something good and useful. And I think, I think that's the same case for me is like get, try to be a part of things that You already use, you know, and I think that's what me and Ash do a lot of is like, how can we integrate here more? You know, we use this subscription tool. Can we join that team a little bit more deeper and see if we can connect on a deeper level?
0: I feel like that is just fundamentally part of your DNA. I think that's who you are and everything that you say, everything I see um, becoming part of what you do just seems to be you. You were an agency in a world. You became part of that world. Now you're in the brand side of the world. You're becoming part of the suppliers of the brand side of the world. Where next? Who knows? But I'm excited to see where your journey takes you. It is. I mean, I I personally look up to you. Um, I I think you're just a fantastic advocate for the space. Um, I hate it when people do this to me, but I do genuinely think that you're just a great guy. Um, And I see all of the value that you give out whilst also having a newborn, moving house, running a business, advising your businesses. I don't know how you do it man apart from the fact that maybe you're a clone of some sort or time traveler i'm not sure but look, just thank you from for, for everything you've done for us and me uh and and obviously for joining us today no thank you so much for having me and 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 you know you, you probably hear it enough but
1: thank you for always supporting us founders whether we're big small new been around um i think when i even joined twitter about five months ago um it was like there are a few people that are just there whether or not agnostic to the follower account and I think that's the type of support the community we need and uh, what you've done with your podcast, putting out the material, giving us all voices. um, uh, It's your time that you're doing that with, you know, and and that means a lot for us. So thanks for creating platforms for us and then the support. So I
0: appreciate it. And likewise. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. The fact that you're still here at the end of this episode tells me that one You must have enjoyed it and two, you're probably as big of an e-commerce geek as I am. Thank you for sticking around and I just want to give a special thanks to Rewind, Clearco and Vixer for sponsoring this episode. You can find more information and the offers that are associated with those companies in the show notes below. Please also, if you haven't already, go to ecom.gold and subscribe to gold club you'll get alerts about upcoming episodes you'll get extra content like playbooks from each of the people and guests that we have on the show and you'll also get access to some of the exclusive content that we have coming up and finally do share the show with your friends give us a review Uh, it really helps us to build our audience i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day take it easy and uh, we'll see you next time